If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And let's pray together as we focus our hearts on listening to God's Word with the intent to submit to our God. Our gracious Father, we thank you for giving your Son, Jesus Christ, to be a light to the world. And as we study that aspect of your truth this morning from John's Gospel, we pray that you will enlighten our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, taking your word to quicken us so that we respond in faith and to continue transforming us to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Our scripture reading today came from the opening words of the gospel according to John. John's gospel is interesting because it has some of the simplest Greek vocabulary and some of the simplest Greek syntax, that's the sentence structure, in all of the New Testament, but it bears some of the deepest and richest theological truths concerning the first advent and mission of the Christ, the Son of God. And John seems to have written with awareness of the other synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that they were already circulating, and so he intentionally appears to supplement and complement those with a particular emphasis on the spiritual significance of Christ's coming in his ministry. So John highlights particular signs and particular statements, meaning Jesus' miracles and his teachings, things that Jesus did and things that Jesus said, signs and statements that substantiate the true meaning and purpose of his coming and his ministry and of his death and resurrection. So John's themes, many of which are, are introduced in this opening prologue of 18 verses that we're going to look at a little further here, many of John's themes are intricately woven together in a way that once you see it, it becomes difficult to miss when your awareness and sensitivity has been kindled. So my hope is that our journey this morning will ignite a desire in you to look even more closely, that you will go away from here desiring to read all of John's gospel together again in one sitting and to reread it, not just so that you will, uh, not, not just for merely intellectual stimulation, but that you will be set ablaze in worship, both praising Jesus and obeying him. Today, I'd like to draw your attention to a metaphor then from John's prologue that Jesus is the true light of God's salvation to the world. As John sets out to prove that Jesus reveals God and is God, that he gives spiritual sight, gives spiritual life, I want us to be asking, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? And what evidence then is there to substantiate this claim that Jesus is the light to the world? And what should be our response to Jesus as the proven light? Let's start first by reading first, or John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, for, through his testimony about the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness 
about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So first, what does it mean that Jesus is the true light of God to everyone? John 1, 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Consider the characteristic importance of the metaphor itself. Why say Jesus is the light? Well, light reveals, you shine a light in a dark place and it reveals what is present. Light therefore also exposes. Even if something was intended to be hid, the light exposes it. The light reveals truth. Light reveals knowledge of God. It shows God's very presence. So turning on the light is to show us, no, God is here. He is present. And the light, therefore, also exposes ignorance. The light exposes wickedness. The light exposes falsehood. So light is contrasted with darkness. Light represents On the one hand, the moral holiness and purity of God. Light represents the moral holiness and purity of God, and darkness represents the waywardness and the blindness of mankind. And light, we'll see in John, and there's an emphasis that light gives us sight. We were walking in darkness, stumbling in darkness, When we walk in the night, John will say in in John 11, 10, we walk in the night and stumble because we cannot see. So light gives sight. Without God's own light, we grope in the darkness of our sin without hope. So light is an apt metaphor for some of the key things that John introduces in this prologue about Jesus. He will say that Jesus reveals God. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. This light coming into the world is God made known. Jesus reveals God. Jesus is the truth of God revealed. And God is the source of spiritual life and spiritual light. So Jesus is the one-of-a-kind Son of the Father who is himself God and reveals God. Secondly, John says in this prologue that Jesus is God's gracious means of salvation. In verse 16, he says, For from his fullness, do you remember this word from last week? The fullness, the pleroma, Jesus is the fulfillment of, of, of what God has been doing. So the pleroma, the fullness, filled to the brim. And then from his fullness, we have all received what? Grace upon grace, super abundant grace from God. So light, as an expression of, light is an expression of grace because God has not left us in the darkness. Without Jesus, we are without hope. But the revelation of God's light is an immeasurable mercy and grace from God. 
By this inbreaking of light, God offers salvation. Remember verses 12 and 13 said, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So this is a spiritual birth to become God's children, it is, and it is a result of God's own gracious will. And then one more thing to notice is that Jesus is more complete revelation. About this theme of light, Jesus is more complete revelation. Jesus is in the stream of God's progressive revelation to and through Israel, fulfilling the promises God had made concerning salvation through the Messiah, God's anointed one, and he is further more complete revelation. Verse 17 says it this way, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law exposes our sin, and Jesus provides God's means of salvation by his own righteousness. So a brief summary is to say that the light is a metaphor for God revealing himself through Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. That's quite a claim. What evidence does John show to substantiate this claim? And now, There are so many things in here. John will tell you in his gospel that there are so many things that Jesus did that he couldn't possibly record them all for you. There's not time and space. I will tell you there's not time and space in this survey this morning to point all of them out to you, but we will be galloping like you're riding on a horse headed for home, okay? So get ready. There are a lot of these. The Apostle John launches straight into substantiating this claim that Jesus is the light from God revealing God's salvation. John the forerunner pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. John was sent from God to prepare for and bear witness to the light, we saw in verses 6 to 8. John would confess openly that he was not the Christ, but instead bore witness to God's seal upon Jesus as his anointed one, which John says after after God himself bears witness, testifies that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased at the baptism of Jesus. Now knowing that the Christ was Jesus, John would declare of him, behold the Lamb of God. And this is the one of whom I said that I'm not worthy even to untie his sandals. And I I just baptize you with water as a symbol of your repentance before God, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So instead of elevating himself, John pointed to Jesus and said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So the forerunner pointed to Jesus, and then Jesus would do things and say things unlike anybody else. This is where C.S. Lewis captures the idea. If you look in John's gospel, And you see the things that Jesus does and then the things that Jesus says about himself. This is where C.S. Lewis will get the concept that this guy is either crazy or he's evil or he's exactly who he says he is. Now, this is where we'll run out of space and time to trace all of the examples that the Apostle John gives of the signs and statements of Jesus. But let's go. Jesus turned water into wine in Cana of Galilee. Jesus turned water into wine. That's a first sign. 
in Jerusalem at the Passover, Jesus cleared the temple of money changers. And when he was asked about doing this, this is John 2, verses 18 to 22. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? What authority do you have? Jesus answered them, destroy, here's a sign for you. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up. The Jews then said, it has taken 40 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But John says, Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And then Jesus would, would also tell Nicodemus, a ruling Pharisee, that neither he nor anyone could see the kingdom of God unless he be born again of the Spirit, and that eternal life would be granted to those who, who look upon the Son of Man lifted up and believe in him for salvation. John chapter 3. Who can say such things? Jesus would declare to a Samaritan woman that he had authority and power to give her living water, meaning salvation, spiritual life by the Spirit of God. And then Jesus would heal an official son of life-threatening illness without ever traveling over to the town where the, the, the young man was. He didn't leave one town to go to the other town, he just healed the boy on the spot. And the official finds out later that the son was healed at that very hour that Jesus had told him, go, your son is well. Who can do such things? Jesus would declare, oh, excuse me, Jesus would heal a man on the Sabbath, no less. Jesus would heal a man who had been an invalid for 38 years in John chapter 5. And because of this, the Jews, the religious leaders, began persecuting and before long seeking to kill Jesus because he was not only healing on the Sabbath, but he would say things like, my father is working in, until now and I am working, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They knew that's what Jesus was saying about himself. That's John 5, 16 to 18. And Jesus continued, Speaking of saying outrageous things, verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. And verse 24, truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And then Jesus says to them that God bore witness about him at his, at his baptism, and the scriptures testify about him. If you listened to Moses, you would know that I am he, and, and that John the Baptist testified about him, and that the works he is doing testify, testify more brightly than the testimony of John. Listen to what Jesus says about John. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You have to be closing your eyes. John the Apostle continues with his evidence that Jesus is the true light. Jesus feeds thousands of people, more than 5,000, by multiplying five barley loaves and two fish and turning it into sufficient food for maybe 15,000, 20,000 people. 
And the next day, then, Jesus tells the crowd, so signs and statements, and they correspond. The next day, Jesus tells the crowds who want, to, who want him to keep repeating this miracle, like, can you keep doing this for us? He says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And then in verse 33, he also said, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Notice, as I said, that the miracles that John is pointing out are tied directly to the things that Jesus is saying about himself. Just so, when Jesus travels up to Jerusalem again for the Feast of Booths that year in John 7, that's just the one where they are celebrating, they live in in tabernacles for a time. And there are uh, water drawing ceremonies and lamp lighting ceremonies. And there's a great deal of discussion at this feast And there's division over whether or not Jesus could be the Christ because of the stuff he does. And in that context of their confusion, John says this in chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the emphasis of the section in chapter 8 is that Jesus bears witness to the truth and he himself is the truth sent from God. Acknowledging the truth would set them free from slavery to sin, but instead they ignore the very truth before their eyes. They, they prove their blindness because they will not listen to the truth Jesus presents and the truth that he represents. So they are not the true children of Abraham. They are not the children of God. And speaking of Abraham and of the things that Jesus said that would have just knocked the wind out of the Jews... He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones again to stone him. The truth of chapter 8 is then proven in chapter 9 when Jesus gives sight to a man born blind. This is extremely significant to what we've been saying about the ability of Jesus to be the light in the darkness, the ability of Jesus to give sight to those who are spiritually blind, the ability of Jesus to give life to those who are spiritually dead. He gives sight to a man born blind. And there's a great commotion among the Pharisees who do not want to believe that this really happened. They question the man, they question his parents, and then they question the man again. Although they want to accuse Jesus of being a sinner... They're stumped and angry with the formerly blind man's response. He says this, John 9, 32 and 33. Never since the the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone ever opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man is not from God, he could do nothing. You're calling him a sinner and saying that he has a demon But if he were not from God, he couldn't do such things. Out of the mouth of the man who was blind. And this one who was given spiritual sight now had understanding. But the Pharisees rejected Jesus in their blindness. But Jesus would continue in John 10. I am the door of the sheep. John 10 verse 7. 
Jesus saying he's the gate, he's the entrance, he's the only means of access to God. And then he would shift the metaphor and say, I am the good shepherd in verses 14 to 16. The good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He has authority to take, to, he has authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Those who refuse to listen to his voice prove that they are not sheep of his fold. Shortly after, when Lazarus had died, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? 11.25. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then what do we say about the corresponding things? Jesus then goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's been four days and Lazarus stinks. but he raises him from the dead. From chapter 11 into chapter 12, there's an emphasis on the plot to kill Jesus and a preparation for his burial by Mary anointing Jesus in worship. And then there's the triumphal entry. The Messiah has come, they say. And later that week, they're wanting to crucify him. And then Jesus is predicting his own death. And there's an emphasis on the unbelief of the people, their blindness to the plain evidence before them. Even still, Jesus made this appeal to all who would listen. Verses 44 to 46 of John 12, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me, in God. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Who says such things? I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Is that you? What more evidence is there, even than all that he has already said and done? Is there yet more evidence? Jesus will die and rise again. In the context of of his trial and crucifixion, chapters 18 and 19. By the way, I want to encourage you to, on your own, do the same thing that we're talking about. Read chapters 18 through 21 and notice all the connections, how tightly woven these things are that John has been saying. And then I'll tell you again, go to John chapter 13 to 17, which applies to you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and see how tightly woven these things are. It is amazing. You will be astonished. And unless you are of the darkness, you will worship Christ. Jesus said in, in the context of his trial and crucifixion, John 18, verse 37, Pilate asked him, so are you a king? And Jesus said, you say that I am a king, or it is as you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. That's the light of the revelation of God. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. If you are not of the truth, or if you don't listen to the voice of Jesus, then you are not of the truth. Jesus would prove all of this because he would physically die for sin. He would physically be buried and he would physically rise again. And in chapter 20 and 21, we have this occurrence and his resurrection and his appearances. 
So I, I have to keep going because this is a, a foot race and I'm winning. John and the other apostles would bear witness to Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, this is what the apostle John would say, John 19, verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness. He's talking about himself, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. That's what John was saying about what he had seen at the crucifixion himself. And then he talks about the resurrection. Chapter 21, verse 24, this is the disciple who is, is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And John says plainly the purpose of writing his gospel. Chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so that is the final point for our application this morning. What should be our response to Jesus as the proven light? Are you alive? Are you born again? John 1, 13, John chapter 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. The one who created you, giving you physical life, John 1, 3, and 4, is the one who is himself salvation, is the light who overcomes darkness, John 1, 5. He is the one who gives spiritual life to the one who believes in that verse that we just read, John 20, verse 31. So come awake and worship the Lord. Listen to the ultimate response of the blind man who had received his sight. This is John 9, 35 to 38. Jesus heard that, that they had cast him out, saying, who are you? Are you going to teach us? And Jesus found him and he said, do you believe in the son of man? And the, the formerly blind man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? I mean, he'll do it. He'll listen to anything Jesus says now. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the man responded, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And what about Thomas, who's famous because he, he missed the first appearance of Jesus Christ with the other disciples, and so then he says, well, I'm not going to believe unless I see some evidence for myself. I mean, who can blame him? Jesus had died, and they're saying that they've seen him risen from the dead. But listen to the response of Thomas when Jesus had shown himself to him. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. That last part applies to everyone reading John's gospel. John is saying you're, Thomas saw him and believed, but blessed are those who, who haven't seen a physical appearance of the risen Jesus and yet have believed. That applies to everyone reading John's gospel. That means it applies to you. With gratitude and with wonder, worship the Lord. And know that worship bears itself out in more than just praise. Yes, it bears itself out in praise and in emotional praise. 
but worshiping the Lord also bears itself out in obedience. Let me say this again. There is a warning in John's gospel to wake up while there is still time. Jesus is the light that cannot be extinguished, only ignored. Do you really want to remain in darkness? There's a repeated theme in John that judgment is also given to Jesus. And remember we said the light not only reveals, the light exposes. And that ignoring the light seals that judgment. Even though the judgment itself doesn't come until Jesus returns at his second advent to judge the world. But if you die or Jesus returns, your judgment is sealed. Just as Christ's first coming was of limited duration, so your present opportunity to respond is limited. When night falls, then everyone will be judged according to their response to the light. John chapter 3, verse 36. In the very context that Jesus had spoken to Nicodemus, and then John explains, John 3, 16. Following that, speaking of the fact that Jesus is also the judgment, that those who do not believe stand condemned already. Listen to verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So do not run from the light. Run to the light. In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says that he will not cast out the one who comes to him. And if you come to him, you can be assured that such was the Father's will. All that the Father give me will come to me, and I will never cast them out. John chapter 12, verses 35 to 36 say this. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. But while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So also we who are in Christ must walk in the light. Walking in the light means following Jesus in obedience to his character and in obedience to his command. And walking in the light is also our assurance that we are his. John writes about this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, and you can look at that. But then also, I told you about John chapter 13 to 17. You can see it there. Jesus, Jesus gives them illustrations of everything that he's saying as he talks to his disciples for the last time, the same night that he institutes the Lord's Supper, Jesus has this long conversation that John opens the veil and John lets us into to see and, and lets us think about all the things that John has been teaching and all the things that Jesus said and everything that Jesus accomplished and to apply it to ourselves. And, and so Jesus, he, he, it, when he begins dinner with his disciples, he gives them a demonstration of humble service for the good of others. And he shows them this by him washing their feet. As I have loved you, he would say, so you should love one another. John 13, 34. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Would Jesus demonstrate that love for them to follow his example? He displayed this to the point of death on a cross in order to save them from their sins. 
In John 14, he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he would say that he is revealing the Father to them. And he would say in chapter 15 that they must abide in him because apart from him, they couldn't do anything. He is the vine and we are the branches. We must abide in him. Without him, we don't have life. Without him, we can't move forward in that life. And by the way, there's a backdrop. While this is happening, there's a backdrop of Judas's betrayal because he is not of the light and he doesn't walk in the light. And then Jesus re-emphasizes loving him by keeping his commandments and, and he emphasizes comfort that when he goes, he will give them another helper. In fact, they should be overjoyed that he's going to give them the other helper, the Holy Spirit. And in, 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 in this, there's a backdrop of, of Peter's impending denial because he doesn't depend on Jesus to remain true to him, but on his own strength. And there's such a display of weakness without the presence of the Holy Spirit. But because Peter is one of his own, Jesus will make all of that right. Finally, there's the high priestly prayer, which reminds us that we are to be set apart to him and sent by him. Just listen to the words of John 17, verses 15 to 18, as he prays to the Father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says, sanctify them in the truth, or set them apart in the truth, your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And at one of his resurrection appearances, he'll tell them, as God sent me, even so I am sending you. So finally, more on being his sent ones. Remember, believers, that we are witnesses to the light. While the light was among them, the light was witness unto itself. But now Jesus has ascended to heaven, and he is at the right hand of the Father, but he has given his true children the gift of the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit so that we may testify to the light. So we must be as planets that orbit the sun, who is Jesus. And we are therefore transformed by his light, and we reflect his light for others who remain in the shadow of darkness. Like Philip to Nathaniel. And like the woman at the well to her, to her Samaritan townspeople, we should be overwhelmed with Jesus and telling others to just come and see. Can anything good come out of Galilee or Nazareth? Well, just come and see, Nathaniel. Just come and see. Or Andrew to Peter. Or, or this woman to the Samaritans. Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Come and see. Open the Bible with people and tell them to come and see for themselves this light of God who can save them. Or like John the Baptist and John the Apostle testify about the light. Tell others that Jesus is the Lamb who takes away sin. That Jesus is indeed the Messiah, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. Tell others that the Bible set, what the Bible says about Jesus, that these things are written so that they may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that by believing, they may have life in his name. Let me ask you an obvious question, but nonetheless an essential question. 
Do John and John strike you as just minding their own business? Or are they directly and deliberately meddling in, the, in other people's lives to point them to God? Are they just quietly minding their own business, going about their daily tasks, or are they meddling in people's lives to point them to Jesus Christ? Were Peter and Paul content to just keep to themselves and go about their daily routine, or did they give their lives to bear witness to the grace and truth of God made known in Jesus Christ? He must increase, and we must decrease. And if, if you are in Christ Jesus, let me ask you, is that a drudgery or is that a joy? He must increase and we must decrease. Let's end with this, John the Baptist's own words in verse 29. John chapter 3, verse 29. In the context of he must increase and I must decrease. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. I know them and they follow me. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I just get to hear Jesus and belong to Jesus. There is no greater joy. May you be filled with joy in God because the light of Jesus has come and has given you sight, transforming your darkness by his light. And may you experience the assurance of the truth that you are God's children by the transformation in your lives and by testifying to others about this light. Let's pray. Our gracious God, this is all a mercy from you. We are all objects of wrath because of our sin. You are a just God who must punish sin, and it cannot be in any other way because you are God. You are holy, and it is a part of your goodness. And also in your goodness, you have seen fit before time began before the foundations of the world, to plan for the God-man Jesus Christ to come and be our rescuer, our deliverer. And before time began, you have placed names in the Lamb's book of life, and you will save those who are your own. And we thank you for letting us be a part of testifying to the light of Jesus Christ so that you may continue saving your own people. We thank you for this light. We thank you for the privilege of belonging to Jesus. We thank you for the great joy that it is to know you and to make you known. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you are conflicted this morning, plead with God to open your eyes. He will not cast you out. Repent and believe the gospel that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Don't waste another 
breath. And Christians, I trust that God's word is as true and beneficial to you as it is every time, that you will worship God more fully, that you will walk with Jesus more closely, that you will depend on him more completely. Let's go and do likewise. Let's pray in prayer. Our gracious God, we need you. We need you. We cannot save ourselves. And we cannot go on without you. We need you. Cause us to depend on you this day and this week as long as you see fit to keep us here. We need you to help us be about you. And we know that you desire to do this in us as we submit to your spirit. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.